you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. I'm your host, Phil. As always, with me, my trusty co-host, the best and fastest researcher in the West. Camille, how are you doing on this <laughs> okay. hot night in yeah, Southern exactly. California? Exactly. I'm melting, but otherwise fine. How are you? Uh, also, a little hot down here. Summer kind of like flicked on in Southern California. I feel like it went from like June gloom to um, really hot really fast. So. But like I said, I we complained about our like nine months of winter. And I was like, as soon as it's hot, we're all going to be complaining about that. Yeah, I feel like there was a point <laughs> where we were complaining about it always being cold and rainy and foggy. And now we're at the point where we're like, oh, it got a little warm today. It's like 78 degrees. That's gross. I don't want that. So here we Wait, are. Did you get your what free I Slurpee? There's a free Slurpee? It's 7-Eleven day. Uh, no, I didn't even think about that. Free Slurpee. We still have time. I'll just run it. We're good. You go. Okay. I'll be back. Uh, Camille's going to run the show. She's going to give her whole uh, dissertation on these three Supreme Court decisions. So uh, have fun, everybody. I'll see you in a little bit. Bye. Um, I, I don't think that would fit into what my trainer wants me to be eating or indulging right now is just melted sugar or icy sugar. So, but you know, it's only once a year. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, the point of tonight's show is we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court cases that came out, um, not necessarily California related, but again, it does affect California tangentially. Um, but either way, I like to talk about these cases and I like to nerd out about these cases. Um, I love constitutional law. I've practiced a couple constitutional law cases in my time, so I like to keep up on this stuff. I'm probably one of the only people I know who actually looks forward to sitting down and reading these uh, decisions and kind of highlighting and taking them apart. Um, but we're only going to be talking about three tonight. We're going to be talking about the student loan forgiveness. We're going to be talking about affirmative action and um, religious freedom in terms of uh, compelled speech and stuff like that. Um, I encourage anybody who is watching in the chat right now, please feel free to ask any questions or anything like that. If there's something you guys don't really understand, just ask me. And again, disclaimer, this is only my opinion. This is not to be construed as legal advice. Um, us as attorneys, <laughs> we're, we're just kind of conditioned. We always have to do that wherever we go. Whenever we speak publicly, we kind of have to tell people it's not legal advice. We're just telling you our opinion. So don't go somewhere and be like, hey, this guy on a podcast told me this was what I could do constitutionally. So therefore, I'm going to do it. That's legal advice, right? Um, Informational right, so, purposes only. This is not to be construed as legal advice. Exactly. <laughs> I am not and, an attorney, so. Exactly. And any uh, dissemination of this podcast without the written informed consent of MLB will be. Uh, no, that's a different thing. Um, all right. So, Camille, I asked you, I think we kind of set it up where you're going to be like asking me questions and interviewing me in a sense, not like interviewing, but like. I'll let you lead the discussion and ask questions about these cases and I'll do my best to answer so that I'm just not sitting here rambling. Um, since you're kind of leading the show, which one do you want to start? With? I was going to ask you that same question, actually. Um, 
Let's go with affirmative action, which actually I feel like is most closely related to California because California banned right. affirmative action when? It was a couple ago. of years ago. Yeah, I, I feel like we should have pulled up specifically what proposition. But if you don't remember, a couple of years ago, California voted down affirmative action um, to be enshrined in our Constitution. It was basically the way it was worded was it would allow under the California Constitution for you to discriminate based on race. Um, and I think people picked up on it really quickly and were like, no, that doesn't make any sense. So it got voted down by like a large margin. So even in super blue progressive California, affirmative action was voted down by a large margin. Um, but yeah, we can definitely start with affirmative action. Um, okay, that but one's first, first. <laughs> um, you did at least used to call yourself a constitutional attorney. Is that still the case? Correct. Yeah, I, whenever the whenever the opportunity presents itself, I should say, um, there are kind of few and far between constitutional cases, um, ones that people really have like a strong claim. A lot of people will contact me and be like, "Oh, I have this claim. I want to do X, Y, and Z." I'm like, eh, "It's not really a constitutional case," but yes, yeah, it's still open. So, to what would make cases. you a constitutional attorney? Um, any cases involving questions of law under the US or California Constitution. So that okay. could be First Amendment, could be Second Amendment, could be separation of powers, abuse of power. Um, those are usually the big ones, First Amendment, Second Amendment. Um, criminal defense is usually referred, reserved, like Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, that's all criminal defense stuff. Um, but other than that, those are like the big ones that people usually get involved in. Okay. And I can say from my own experience that you're the best attorney that I've ever worked with <laughs> in all the land. Well, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I hope maybe I'm the I'm only not, attorney I'm not you've ever worked with. I'm not to say that. That was, that was not part of the deal tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I try my best because um, I nerd out on this stuff. So let's hop into affirmative action. Are there any questions yes. right off the bat? I know someone had asked uh, on Instagram, they had a direct message. If, they, if I could just explain right off the bat, like the court system, how it works. Um, so real quick, uh, how does we're going to there's going to be a lot of schoolhouse rock in this episode. Um, how does a case get to the Supreme Court? Well, usually uh, a case starts if it's a question under the U.S. Constitution, it starts in federal court. They start in what are called district courts because those are like the trial level courts. There's three levels to courts. Let me start there. There's the trial level, there's the appellate level, which is second, and then there's the Supreme Court. Uh, most of these cases started at a district court in some federal jurisdiction. It then went up to some circuit, uh, for example, in the religious freedom one, it went up to the 10th circuit, which was the appeals court. They didn't like that ruling, so then they appealed it to the Supreme Court. To get it to the Supreme Court, you have to file this thing called a writ of certiorari, which is Latin to basically say, like, give us permission to go in front of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court looks at your case. They grant what they call is cert or grant writ, um, grant cert. And then Supreme Court hears it and they come out with a decision. So that's how these cases happen. Or I the, dare people the other to way it could happen. that word in the chat. Certiorari. Yeah, I feel like if you can spell certiorari. <laughs> Without looking it up, don't go Google it. Um, and the Supreme yeah, Court here, or they get about seven, eight thousand cases, and they only hear like what eighty 
a year. Yeah, they don't hear a lot. Like the the chances of you getting hurt at the Supreme Court are very, very low. Um, most of the time they don't listen to your case. Um, so yeah, it's a very select few that actually make it to the US Supreme Court. The other way it can come to the Supreme Court is if you appeal it from a state Supreme Court. So that's the other way. So if you okay. go through like the state courts, get all the way up to your state, let's say you sue someone here in California, in Superior Court, you go all the way up to the California Supreme Court, you don't like their decision. Um, oh, geez, my thing is falling over. If you don't like their decision, you can appeal it to the US Supreme Court. So. Okay. So obviously that happened in these cases. Right. And yourself. I'm trying to fix my microphone. I didn't write down the, there was the affirmative action was, I believe there was actually two cases involved in this. Um, a student organization. See, I didn't write this down and I should have student organization. And then um, was it something against the university of Nebraska? No, um, no, no. So there were two different, there, there were two yeah. different cases. They were sort of consolidated together. Um, it's uh, University of North Carolina and Harvard Carolina. were the two schools that were sued. Um, but the decision was basically the same. The only difference was uh, Justice Kintanji Brown Jackson had to recuse herself from the Harvard case because she sat on the board of trustees for Harvard. So she had to recuse herself from that case. But okay. she did write a scathing dissent in the UNC case um, and Justice Thomas, which I'll talk about in a little bit, really kind of legally gave it back to her and kind of eviscerated her in his uh, concurrence. So um, there's a little interesting spat going on between those two. Katanji Brown Jackson is obviously the uh, Supreme Court nominee from Joe Biden, which is ironic. She had so much to say about affirmative action when her pick in selection to the Supreme Court was almost like an affirmative action pick. Right. Because Joe Biden basically came out and said, I'm only going to pick a black female, not I'm going to pick the best judge to sit on the court. It's you have to be a black female. So kind of ironic. But all right, where should we start on affirmative action? Well, I guess a little bit of background or a little bit of info. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the quick summary of it is, let me look at my notes right here. Do, 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 do. Um, basically what happened, there was these groups that uh, one of them, I believe, was an Asian American group that sued Harvard and UNC for affirmative action because they were being denied admission um, and they lost a seat or an opportunity to get to their school uh, because of affirmative action. And this has sort of been an argument that has been going on for like, I don't know how many decades um, that Asian Americans are often some of the biggest victims or those who suffer the most under affirmative action because they're not part of the minority that affirmative action seeks to select and uplift, even though they are a minority. So uh, they sued, they brought it to uh, federal court. It was these groups. Long story short, it got all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3. I believe all these cases were 6-3. Religious um, freedom was unanimous. Sorry. What's that? You, the religious freedom one was actually unanimous. I can't say that word. Unanimous. <laughs> Which I was, um, I was glad about that. No, I believe it was. Was it not? Okay, it, we'll get to that. 
Sorry. Seven to seven to two. No, that was the Colorado case. Um, but yeah, there were there were dissents in the religious freedom one. So they didn't they didn't all agree on the religious freedom one. Um, Justice Sotomayor had a really crazy dissent in that one. Anyway, so affirmative action. Um, you need to go back a little bit. Uh, there was this case, Grutter v. Bollinger, which is around 2003. Uh, the court ruled that there is a constitutional argument to allow for race to be a deciding factor in school admissions in certain cases. Um, there were, I think, who was on the court at that time? William Rehnquist was the chief justice at that time. He dissented. He basically made the argument that now these conservative judges are making, which is that this is a constitutional farce to believe that affirmative action is somehow protected under the Constitution. Um, Sandra Day O'Connor, which was you know one of the more popular judges at the time, she wrote that this is okay and this is fine because it's a compelling state interest, but it would have to sunset after like 25 years. So in Sandra Day O'Connor's I mind like affirmative action is fine for a certain amount of time to kind of rectify uh racial inequality and but at a certain point we have we as a society have to get past it now some of the more liberal judges uh ruth bader ginsburg the notorious rbg said this should never go away we should be able to have this forever fast forward to now um these groups sued um Basically, let's see, after the lower courts, they upheld North Carolina at Harvard's admission. They came to the Supreme Court and they granted cert. Um, Justice Roberts gave the majority opinion. So uh, what that means is when you give the majority opinion, it's the majority of the judges. One judge usually writes the opinion. Now you can write concurring opinions and you can write dissenting opinions, which we'll get to. Uh, basically... This one was pretty straightforward in terms of how the court came about determining their ruling. There's the 14th Amendment, which is the Equal Protection Amendment, which basically says that all individuals, regardless of race and whatever, have to be treated equally under the law. Um, the justices all basically came, the six justices came to the same agreement. We can't pretend that the Equal Protection is... We can't uphold the Constitution and the 14th Amendment and what it, pr pr what it stands to provide for equal protection um, while also allowing for race-based affirmative action because you're treating different races differently. Um, so that's how they, Roberts basically came to it. Um, but the interesting part I wanted to really talk about, and stop me if I'm, you have any input or questions, the interesting thing I really want to talk about was Justice Thomas's concurring opinion. Um, obviously, Justice Thomas, the one male black justice who's been on the Supreme Court for a long time, grew up in the South, um, made his way through the upper echelon to get into the Supreme Court. Uh, he's kind of taken on the firebrand uh I guess you could say he's like the firebrand that Scalia was. He took on that role after Scalia passed away. Um, and he wrote really the scathing concurring opinion. And he goes into history and he talks about it. And he, he does really good historical concurring opinions. Uh, in Bruin, he wrote an incredible majority opinion talking about history and self-defense. Um, and this one, he talked about how, okay, now we're going like really, really far back. 
So hold on for the history history lesson. We're going down a history lane. Um, So after the Civil War, Congress passed and the, the states ratified the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment abolished slavery. So no more slavery in America. Uh, they thought that was going to be enough. It wasn't because what happened was, is a lot of Southern states decided to enact what they were called black codes. And this is Justice Thomas going through the history. So black codes basically were different laws for freed blacks, meaning you couldn't engage in business. You couldn't go in certain restaurants. You couldn't own firearms. So basically they boxed in a lot of freed blacks where they couldn't even exercise a lot of their rights. Congress came up with the Civil Rights Act of 1866. They thought that would work. It didn't have enough teeth. Um, That was trying to basically say you can't discriminate against people based on race. That didn't work. The states kind of just didn't listen to it. So the last thing they could do, which is the ultimate power, is pass a constitutional amendment. So they passed the 14th Amendment, which provided equal protection under the law. Um, And then away we go. there are several landmark cases using the 14th Amendment equal protection. Plessy versus Ferguson was one, uh, which said that it was separate but equal. That was later, obviously, overruled because that was incredibly racist for him to say separate but equal. Um, those are like the old historical photos of you see, you know, the, the water fountains where it says blacks only, whites only. They thought that was OK. Supreme Court later determined separate but equal. Un- unconstitutional and Brown versus Board of Education. All right, enough history. Here we are. Now we're all the way up to date in 2023. And Justice Thomas basically goes on this long uh, discussion about how, how can we as a society say that we value all races and everyone's equal? How do we live up to these ideals of the Declaration of Independence? Um, how do we live up to this while while also promoting these policies that pick and choose people only on basis of their skin? Um, he also went on to talk about how, uh, in terms of diversity, a lot of these educational, uh, you know, institutions like Harvard and UNC all say we need to increase diversity. He said that the respondents who are the schools in this matter couldn't provide any evidence to show that there what that diversity had any positive Im- impact on any of this, the any of the other students and his argument was we need more diversity of thought in educational institutions and we don't need just so much diversity of skin color so any questions so far or anything to add at this point not yet okay <laughs> I, um, I will have some Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. So yeah, his, his whole point was that you can't base people solely on their skin color because skin color is not determinative of your experience of who you are, what you think, um, what's your background. He said there could be a white kid from the city and a white kid from rural uh, country could have completely different diverse backgrounds and different diverse ways of thinking. Is that not, not diversity? Same thing if there was someone who was black from the city and someone who was black from the rural areas, um, would they not be different? Should we not be exposing students to those different ideals? And also he went on to talk about the checked boxes in 
uh, college admissions because you have what Caucasian, uh, African American, Hispanic, and Asian. You really only have five choices. And he, he brought up, well, how do you determine if you're Hispanic, but you're Mexican? How do you determine if you're Asian, but you're Indian or Filipino? Like, how do you just sum up people into such small boxes and categories? It's more racist to kind of go through these stereotypes. Um, trying to think of what oh the other point he brought up which i thought was incredible he brought up this idea that affirmative action actually hurts people in a certain way because sometimes students get into schools that they are not well equipped for and i was thinking about this before the show and i was like i read this book and i had to remember it it was david and goliath by malcolm gladwell and there's a whole chapter on this in his book where he talks about someone who gets into, I think it's the University of Maryland, because of affirmative action. And they barely make it into University of Maryland because of affirmative action, but they also were accepted like full ride at a local state school. They end up going to the University of Maryland. Um, they eventually quit their major. Their major was something like bioengineering. I could be wrong, but it was something really complicated. Uh, because it was too tough for them. And the, the question Malcolm Gladwell had is if that person had gone to a more suitable school for them that was more on their level and intellect, would they have done better? Would they have ended up being a bioengineer? And that's sort of Justice Thomas's argument is that kids are being put into schools where they may not fit, they may not excel solely based on the color of their skin. And that's not doing them any service at all because then they may end up dropping out. They may end up quitting. They may end up not pursuing their profession, um, even though they're really smart and really talented. So um, that's basically it for that one. He went in on, on justice uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson, where he said, basically he kind of called her out for her saying like her worldview is warped and it's upside down for um, believing that everybody who has the same skin color, all thinks the same and everybody's a victim just because of the color of your skin um, and he said, that's dangerous to, you know, people in, in this country. He basically said, it's dangerous to believe that just because of the color of your skin, you won't be able to accomplish stuff and you need affirmative action to get where you're at. And he kind of took personal offense to it because he's gotten to where he is because of, um, hard work and his merit. And he doesn't believe the color of his skin yeah. had anything to do with it. So, right. So when I was reading about it, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought I read something about with affirmative action, but they're, they're taking into account that like some kids weren't given the opportunity growing up. Like they, they weren't necessarily living in the best place, therefore didn't get to go to the best schools. And therefore it's kind of, it's not their fault, circumstantial stuff. And therefore they should be given this chance at these better schools based on, you know, those things, or at least take, taking those things into account. And as I was reading that, I thought, well, isn't that a great argument for school choice? Yeah. And I know that's off topic, but if that's such an issue, shouldn't we then be starting at the bottom instead of like waiting till this is a real problem? Let's fix the problem at the bottom, the foundation. Yeah. I and allow these kids to have school choice. Yeah. I mean, is that would be a perfect argument to say instead of using affirmative action when you get to college, why don't we give kids the choice when they're little so they can start to excel and make it to these prestigious institutions on merit, not because yeah. of skin color? 
or solely because of skin color. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair argument to derive from what they're saying in this. Okay, thank you. Just curious. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about how it, California, well, you kind of touched at the beginning, but it's kind of funny to see all the liberals here crying about it. And it's like, it's been in our constitution for however long, 20, 30 years, something like that. And yeah, like they could have had all the opportunities to have overturned it. Yeah. The, the weird thing about these three cases, as I was reading them, is it's like we're living in bizarro land um, where you have a lot of pundits in newscasters who are like, oh, this is going to set us back and we're going back to like the Jim Crow era and we're like now it's going to be separate but equal. And I'm like, OK, first off, and I think like Newsom said something about it as well, like. Um, you know, like we're going backwards and it's Jim Crow all over again. It's like, okay, calm the rhetoric down. But if you actually read the arguments from Justice Roberts and Justice Thomas, you'd sit there and be like, wow, yeah, this is like really racist what they're doing. And I'm glad that the Supreme Court is striking this down. Um, and all the arguments make perfect sense, which is if you're picking winners and losers based on skin color alone and you don't look at the person as a whole that's racist because you're not you know everyone likes to bring up the martin luther king quote which is the content of your character not the color of your skin which is very true which is what they're trying to say here is we're all equal regardless of race and all of that and gender and and um the other uh classifications uh, but we're, we're, we should be long past this at this point where we just look at people in terms of color of their skin and we should really be looking at people based on their, on their merit. And it's, it's odd that the dissent, for example, like Kentonji Brown Jackson, um, wrote sounds so incredibly racist where it says, I mean, her whole thing is, you know, if we don't keep this, there'll be no way, you know black and hispanic kids will ever get into these institutions again it's like wow what a racist thing to say you don't think any black or hispanic kid could make it to harvard on their merits you think that they just they need this leg up like that's it's such a condescending way to look at people um and this is one of those cases where you read it and then you hear the pundits on on the news and you go Am I living in bizarre land? Like what you're arguing to keep something that is clearly racist and the court is saying this is racist, we should get rid of it. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely an odd it's an odd argument and it watching people on the left twist themselves into pretzels to try and argue for affirmative action has been fun these past couple of weeks. But um yeah, so this is one that I definitely was like, this doesn't make sense for leftists to be arguing against, but projection on their part. So I don't know if that answered your question. It did. Um, last comment on this. I actually remember you saying, I think a couple of years ago, like obviously you're white and you said something about you were never handed. Things weren't just handed to you at school. Like you worked hard to get where you were at yeah. to get yourself into law school. And it, no one should look at you and go, oh, he's just a lawyer because he's white. That's unfair. Right. You obviously worked your way up there, took out student loans and everything yeah. to to get where you are, not because 
right. you were privileged and white and everything was handed to you. Yeah, I, I, I hate that argument because I've definitely had people call me out and be like, well, you're white and you're privileged and you don't understand. It's like, um, I mean, Justice Thomas talked about this as well. He said if there was a poor white kid versus a, a black kid who lived in a wealthy family, how, you know, how do we equalize that in that terms? Um, and it, it is kind of prejudicial to just look at people and say, oh, because you're white, you've just lived a privileged life. You're automatically privileged. And it's like, yeah, yeah you know, I've gone through some hard times. My family's gone through hard times. I had to work to get here and no one handed me anything. Um, I think my wife's probably a better example, um, you know, being Hispanic female, uh, growing up in Mexico, making it to be one of the only female directors of her company, first Hispanic female director. Um, like she got there because she worked for it and she would never want to be told that you only got there because of the color of your skin or because you're a minority. And we had to feel like we had to promote you. Like, I think she wants to know she made it to where she is because she worked her ass off. Um, and mm -hmm. I think she feels it's kind of condescending and racist to think she only made it because the color of her skin. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's odd that the left is trying to hold on to something where you can still discriminate based on skin color. And it's amazing. California. Well, I don't think it's really that amazing. California has a weird way of like voting for propositions that are conservative, but not politicians that are conservative. Um, I mean, we can go over that on another episode, but there's a weird historical trend where like people in California vote conservatively on propositions, but they don't vote for conservative politicians that could be a problem with the fact that the California GOP is all messed up and, you know, you have bullies like Carl DeMaio running uh, small county parties, but that's a whole different episode. Uh, anyway, speaking of student loans and working your way up. Yeah. Let's, we move let's on to go into one? student loans since we'll just flow with the school theme. Okay. Um, all go right. A uh, little background on this one. And then we'll get into what the court really decided. Uh, back in, well, we have to go all the way back to like, I think 2003, Congress passed this Heroes Act. Um, I will hand it to Congress. They are very good at naming things so that it sounds really good. <laughs> um, I want to make sure I get this. Is that a job? Do you think there's like one specific person that has that job? And as soon as they start... Would they, they lose their creativity? They're like, all right, we got to get in a new person. Yeah. I mean, it's a great job because like they have to come up with these huge acronyms that sound great. It's something mm -hmm. like the higher education. something, And it comes out to stand for heroes act. I can't find it right now, uh, but anyway, higher education Relief opportunities for students act. There you go. Um, glad you got the notes on that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this was enacted way back after 9-11, uh, basically as a way to allow the Secretary of Education to give relief to those who are going and fighting overseas. I guess they thought it probably wouldn't be a very popular move to be charging people going overseas to fight in these uh, these wars overseas in the Middle East. You know, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to be charging them student loans for that. So the court, uh, Congress gave this authority that they could suspend payments in times of emergency. Fast forward to COVID 2020, Betsy DeVos, who was the secretary of education under president Donald Trump started to suspend student loan payments. And anyone who knows and has student loan payments with the government, 
which should be everybody because Obama centralized all of student loans into the government, um, should know that for the past two years, the Trump administration, the Biden administration have just been extending this suspension. It's set to expire in October. Thanks to this decision, uh, payments are going to resume. But during this time, they kept suspending and kept suspending. And President Biden and his secretary of education decided we're going to forgive student loans. Now, this was a big campaign promise by Joe Biden that he was going to forgive student loans. And then he kind of walked it back after he became president. You know, he said, oh, I'm going to forgive student loans. And then he walked it back. Then it was, you know, $50,000. Then it was $20,000. And I think at the end, it was like, we'll throw you $10,000. Here you go, kid. Thanks for playing. Um, like ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah, he got distracted by ice cream. Um, and so they, they came out with this plan and they said, we're going to enact it. The Secretary of Education has this power under the HEROES Act uh, to modify. And all of this comes around the idea that they thought they had the idea to waive or modify laws and regulations governing the student loan programs. All right. Forewarning, this is going to get really wonky for people. This is not going to be as straightforward as affirmative action or maybe as sexy as religious freedom. Um, There was a Supreme Court case just last year where it was EPA versus West Virginia. That was all around this idea of the major questions doctrine. Okay. Let me back up even more. Oh boy. More schoolhouse rock. We have three branches of government, correct? We have the legislature, Mm -hmm. we have the executive and we have the judiciary. I argue Mm -hmm. that there is a fourth branch of government. I call it the administrative branch. Those are all the agencies that enact Uh, help enact the laws because the executive is supposed to execute the laws that Congress passes. So when Congress passes a law, sometimes they leave a little wiggle room for agencies to kind of fill in the gaps because Lord knows we have enough dumb people in Congress that they're not experts on everything. So you can't expect them to be experts on military and uh, education and EPA and all of this stuff. So they kind of pass these general laws and give a lot of power to these agencies to figure it out and fill in the blanks. So that's where this comes from is where they passed this heroes act and they gave this power to waive or modify laws and regulations for the student loan programs to the secretary of education related to any sort of emergency. So they argued the Biden administration, the secretary of education, they argued that waiver modify under the heroes act gave them the full power and authority to forgive all the student loan debt, which would have equaled 490, $500 billion. Um, this was brought up. Missouri sued. They had standing. That's a whole different nerdy issue. Don't worry about that. Um, got to the Supreme court. And then they talked about this question of how much can Congress delegate to these agencies and how much power can they give them? You can delegate some power to these agencies, right? You can't give these agencies unfettered power. You can't sign a law and be like, I, we give the power, all the power regarding, uh, I don't know, something or other to this one agency. And they're going to decide and they're going to make up all the rules and regulations. Congress has to kind of be specific. At least that's the view of this conservative court. 
they decided this last year, EPA versus West Virginia, where there was all the regulation that was trying to be enacted. Um, the court determined EPA doesn't have that much power, scaled back their power. Same sort of question here. Major question doctrine involves when it is a of substantial economic or political importance. So agencies can't really go off and be rogue when it comes to these major questions that involve big economic or political issues. Um, and the court basically said, you don't have this power. You were never granted this power. Um, you're going way beyond what Congress wanted you. If Congress wanted you to have the power to forgive student loans, Congress should have wrote that into this HEROES Act. In fact, if Congress wants you to forgive student loans, then Congress should just pass a law that says you can go ahead and forgive student loans. Because the idea is Congress is your representatives. They're beholden to the people. Agencies are not. They shouldn't be allowed to do whatever the heck they want. Uh, the one quote I like is uh, that the plan modifies student loan laws and regulations, Robert suggested, only in the same sense that the French Revolution modified the status of French nobility, it abolished them and supplanted them with a new regime entirely. So that's how Roberts kind of struck it down. I did read that. So any questions off the bat? Um, I don't think so. Any questions from the chat? If anybody is has any questions. Um, trying to think of what else to talk about with this. How many of these are going to be on the the bar exam? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the First Amendment will be on a, is always on a bar exam. They always ask the First Amendment, but this stuff will not be on the bar exam. This stuff will all be on the quiz. So I, I hope you guys are all taking notes. There's going to be a quiz at the end of this podcast. Um, so that's basically that one. It's it's kind of wonky. Um, but the, the major takeaway I think people need to learn from this is that agencies, especially under this court, uh, this Supreme court has really chipped away at the power of the agencies, which is great. Um, it chips away at this administrative state, really reduces their power, forces Congress that they have to be very specific in how they write laws. Congress can't just delegate all this power off to the agencies um, I mean, Congress members like to do that, so they can't be beholden to like certain laws and how things are done. They can't be like, oh, well, you know, I didn't have any hand in that. That's the agency who did that. Um, and there's so many rules and regulations anyway. So the big takeaway is they overstepped their bounds. I think every legal scholar, even like left-leaning legal scholars, saw what Biden was doing. And they were like, eh, I don't think this is constitutional. So... I think everybody expected this one to go down in flames. Um, trying to see if there was anything. No, from... He's trying to push for something else a little bit less. Yeah. Under some, I don't know. Do you, do you know, like he's, he's going to try to push for something under the rules of this or that. And I, yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't heard any of his announcements. I know he wants to try something else. So. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm sure unless it, they, Congress writes a law, I don't think there's much he can do anyway. I mean, it's not, I think he could suspend payments indefinitely. Like that's one thing they can do. Okay. Uh, but to just 
forgive and write off $500 billion, half a trillion dollars worth of student loans. I don't think they have that power. Um, well, but they, they can do that for Ukraine. They can do what? Just suspend? They could do that for Ukraine. Just be like, hey, Ukraine, yeah, gonna, like, I mean, all your students. Uh, you, <laughs> what's a couple hundred billion between friends with Ukraine? They can, whatever. Yeah. You know, there's an accounting error that ends up in Ukraine. Who cares? Not a big deal. Uh, it's not like they're going to turn it anyway. Um, from the dissent, Kagan said, uh, Kagan asserted overrules Congress's decision about when and how to delegate. And that is a major problem, not just for governance, but for democracy, too. There's that word. It's always about democracy. Uh, when the Supreme Court. And she's one of the more liberal, yes. liberal leaning. Yeah, there's only three liberals left on the court. It's Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Elena Kagan, and Justice Kentonji Brown Jackson. Uh, Kagan and Sotomayor were selected by, um, I believe, Obama. I know Kagan was. And Kagan, who had never been a judge. Crazy, right? Okay. She was mm -hmm. just like a professor from. Harvard, I believe, and she became judge on Supreme Court. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so yeah, she never actually practiced as a judge. Uh, and then Kentonji Brown Jackson, who was selected by Joe Biden. Um, but yeah, there's yes. that word democracy, obviously, the Supreme Court. And again, this is more of their gaslighting where they say, if the Supreme Court steps in and actually upholds the constitution of what the constitution is supposed to be doing. Then they say it's an attack on democracy when in reality, it's actually protecting democracy in our constitutional Republic. So um, that's basically it on this one. I think there's really not much else to go over. I don't want to hammer this one to death. We can get to the last one, which I think is probably the one that people are probably most excited about is this first amendment kind of religious freedom one. So Okay. Do you have any questions or uh, anything about that? Well, can I ask you, you're the one that chose these three to discuss. What about them stuck out to you that made you want to discuss them the most? I think they're the most hot button. I think they obviously grabbed enough headlines. Um, me personally, I think the student loan one, because it does limit the power of agencies is really important. I don't think, people like really understand like how important the Supreme court is when it comes to chopping away at the agency's power and like reducing the size of the administrative state. Like that's incredibly important. And if we can keep this six, three court, that's going to keep chipping away at it for the next 10, 15 years, that'll be great because it'll really chip away at this like unelected bureaucracy of you know, agency employees who just make up rules and regulations and try and run the government away from the people. Um, affirmative action is obviously historic. Uh, it's something that I think people have been talking about for many years, many decades in terms of affirmative action, how in the same arguments everyone's been making about how it kind of comes off. It does come off as racist. And then the religious freedom one is interesting. Um, mostly because it kind of resolves the issue of the, the cake. Um, it sort of, it comes out of Colorado as well. Um, so sounds like someone's here. That's so weird. Somebody outside <laughs> sounds like somebody's in the house. Hello. <laughs> Creepy. Creepy. Um, hello. Oh no. 
It's my dog snoring. <laughs> oh. Everyone just was like, what was that? That's really creepy. Um, if, if anything was in the house, I think Winnie would have already been up and running at them. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so if everyone remembers, there was the, the guy who was baking the cake um, years ago. It was like five years ago or so. Uh, Supreme Court ruled that they can't force him to bake the cake. Um, that was a different court back then. A little smaller margin. Now there's a 6-3 margin of conservative judges. And this one really dived into First Amendment and compelled speech. Um, the old case really had a question of whether or not they could so they Colorado has this what's the name of it it's um gosh now it's escaping me they have a they have a name for it let me pull it up um that's not it that's not the page the Colorado something or other okay so anyway Colorado has this agency that basically says you can't exclude people based on of uh, certain characteristics. Like, so if it's a public accommodation, a lot of states have these public accommodation laws, meaning you can't deny people access to your services based on race or identity or sexual orientation or anything like that. Uh, so this lady, Miss Smith, want, she does designs for websites and stuff like that. She was going to start doing wedding website. So she never actually started her wedding business, but she was afraid that if she started these websites, that the Colorado agency, Colorado state would force her to under these public accommodation laws, force her to make uh, wedding websites for same sex marriages. Um, she's religious, doesn't believe in same sex marriages. And she was worried about this and she sued. Um, she lost. And then she went to the 10th circuit, lost again. Then she went up to the Supreme court and they reversed. So um, basically the first amendment protects your right to freedom of speech. That's simple. Everybody knows that one. The first amendment also protects you from something called compelled speech. I mean, the First Amendment can't force you to speak in ways you don't want to speak because obviously that violates your right to th uh, think freely, express your opinions. Um, so you can't do compelled speech either. Further, you can't force someone to compel speech and violate their own religious beliefs. So this was sort of like a whole bunch of things are going on here. If she were to go through with these websites and then Colorado comes in and says, well, no, you have to make websites for same-sex marriages. We don't care. It's against your religious beliefs. It'd be compelled speech. And it's a violation of her religious beliefs. Um, so went up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court obviously reversed it. They had Justice Gorsuch provided an incredible... Uh, opinion. I love Justice Gorsuch's opinion. He's been sort of an understated justice ever since he's been really appointed. He's been a super uh, staunch conservative in the sense of constitutionalism, originalism. Um, his opinions are great. I'm just nerding out on him. Um, 
And basically his whole argument that Gorsuch was saying is that if we go down this road whereby the government can start to compel people to speak against their wishes, at what point does it end? We, we end up in a very dark place in this country where if the government can say, you can speak freely as long as we approve of this speech or you're going to speak the basically the narrative that we want. It's a very dark day in American history when you are no longer allowed to think what you want or say what you want or not say what you want. And the, the reason for the First Amendment, he argued, was that we want a diverse amount of opinions. Even if you find those opinions misguided or repugnant or offensive, like the idea is we want all these opinions out in the, in the public square so that people can hear them and make their own decisions. Um, the other thing he brought up as a good example is if we go down, is it any different? And this is, I think, a question a lot of people ask. Would it be any different if would the court view this any differently if it wasn't a Christian woman? But what happens if they force a Muslim filmmaker to make a Zionist uh, movie? Like, is that where we're going? Or what would, what if it's an atheist painter and they're forcing you to make or to paint a Christian mural? Like these are things that are against people's religious beliefs. Um, is that where we're kind of going in terms of how much the government can compel you to speak or, or act on it? Um, right. And like you bring up, you're a devout Catholic, Nobody should be forced to go to mass though. If they're not, you no. know, if they're any other religion, why are we forcing them to go to mass? Right. It should be a personal decision. Right. And uh forced participation month is over anyway. Um, we're in July now. So yeah. And, and that's sort of justice Gorsuch's whole argument is, you know, we would be in a very dark place in American history if they force people to speak on behalf of stuff or in favor of stuff that they don't believe in, that, they, that violates their religious freedom. Um, he also goes after the dissent and says like the dissent creates all of these. It's kind of funny. He pokes a lot of holes in their argument, makes fun of them basically saying they wind themselves up so much that they start uh, catching fire on their own arguments from all directions because they have so many contracting or uh, different arguments. Um, obviously Sotomayor is the one of the liberal judges. She basically painted this dark, uh, dystopian world where now all of a sudden, um, now that people, businesses can basically say, we don't want to serve anybody. Um, and you know, this is a setback for the LGBT community that they're now second class citizens, which is not true. But, um, again, the liberal wing of the, the Supreme court making up more fantastical arguments. Um, any thoughts or questions on that? This was another six, three. No, the, you said this one was seven, two. I was wrong about it. Uh, no, the old one was seven, two. That was the, the cake one. Um, I think this was a six, three. So, um, so the difference, yeah, the, let's talk about that for a second. The difference between that one is, uh, this, that one, the cake had really to do with the agency itself in Colorado. The one that's name keep escaping me. Um, uh, 
that they could not treat someone unfairly uh, by being too hostile to a sincere religious beliefs. That's basically the question of the agency. Um, but they did not determine basically your religious beliefs in terms of your First Amendment right to speech and forcing people to go against that. That was not really decided. So sort of a narrow victory for this cake baker back then. But this kind of okay. this is the decision I think people back then wanted to see is that you can't force people to speak or act against their religious beliefs. Um, there's that old joke of like, why do people just keep going back to this cake guy or this graphic designer? Like, it's, like just stop bothering these true. people. Like, why would yeah. you want to give people money who don't believe it? Like, don't agree with your lifestyle. Um, there's something else I wanted to say. Oh, I think this is the other thing that's really important that people should take away from this. The reason this works for Miss Smith in this case is because what she was doing was expressive content. So that, again, I don't, I've already seen tweets of like some restaurants are like, well, we, we, we decide we don't want to serve this person. We don't want to serve that person based on the Supreme court. Um, her speech well, what she's doing is expressive conduct, which is classified as speech, speech because she's creating websites. She's writing statements about stuff. Um, same thing as like someone making art or a movie that's First Amendment. That's speech. Um, so that's protected under the First Amendment. Normal commercial products wouldn't fall under the First Amendment for this to apply based on my understanding. So you can't okay. just be selling, yeah, you can't just be selling commercial products and be like, well, it's against my religious beliefs. I don't want to sell to gay people anymore. Like that's, that does, it doesn't work like that. You can't discriminate based on those, but people can't mm -hmm. be forced to speak and, and engage in expressive conduct that's against their religious beliefs. So I think that's the big takeaway. I, you know, I'm sure people are going to get this wrong and think like, it just means they can discriminate against anyone and say, it's my religious beliefs. That's not the case. Um, it's only in regards to the first amendment. So phew. Yeah. I, she, I think I'd even read, she has made websites for gay couples. It mm -hmm. wasn't for gay people before that wasn't the issue. It was just that she didn't want to be forced to create content that she didn't believe in. Right. And that was something she, she definitely talked about, or she made the argument that yes, she has made websites. Uh, for gay individuals, for nonprofits. Um, but in terms of same-sex marriages, she wouldn't do it because it's against her religious beliefs. So, yeah, I mean, she's her whole thing was she doesn't she didn't want to discriminate. It's just her religious beliefs. So, um, I mean, big wins across the board, really, in terms of the Supreme Court. And it's going to keep going like this as long as there's a 6-3 majority. There was another religious freedom win this year with the, I wrote it down. The um, Groff versus DJ Postmaster. Did you read about that one? I did not. What's that one about? So he had taken a, was it, he was a mailman, I think, going way back. And at the time when he took the job, they did not have mail service on Sundays. 
and he's a Christian and he believes in the seventh day is the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And like, um, they, then a few years into the job or like 10 years ago or whenever it was when Amazon started, um, when they teamed up with the postal service to deliver on Sundays, he would, uh, he was able to like have someone else cover his shift or whatever when he was asked to work. But then he was starting to get kind of punished, like disciplined at work because he wasn't working Sundays. And mm -hmm. so they were considering him to be, I don't know, a difficult employee. And they were making it difficult on him as far as the whole job. And uh, that ended up going all the way. I, be I believe he quit or retired, but the case ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court and they ruled in his favor that he was not creating a hardship for mm -hmm. the company, for the job, and therefore he has a right to have his religious day off. That's interesting. I feel like that's already been decided that you can't force people to work on what they view as religious holidays as long as it's... Um, so there's this old case, not old case, but an, another Supreme Court case, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it had to do with peyote, um, I think that's why everybody remembers this case because it had to do with peyote. Uh, the person went all the way to Supreme Court and basically said, I have the right to do peyote because it's part of my religion. And peyote is obviously illegal. I think it was in New Mexico. Um, and the Supreme Court said, nah, it has to be like a sincere religious belief. Like it has to be in a sincerely held religious belief. Um, so you can't just be like, oh, I'm part of the I worship the spaghetti, the flying spaghetti monster. And therefore like I get to do Every whatever weekend. I want. Yeah. So I uh, just texted you this in case you're interested. Cause this was just ruled on, but yeah. So I think that was what that one was about. And as far as I remember, you can't force people if they have a sincere religious belief, you can't force them to act against that. That's sort of like, you can't make uh, Jewish people work on like Yom Kippur or, Rosh Hashanah, those are religious holidays. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that this was actually a case that they had to go over again. Like you can't force people or, or penalize them for exercising their religious belief because as far as I know, you can't, you can't retaliate against someone for any, for exercising their religious beliefs. I know you don't have time to go over it now, but there's probably something in there that'll be the difference between this case and that case, just like the cake versus the website thing. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of times these cases hinge on like one or two things. And that's the interesting thing about the Supreme court is that like a decision will be handed down and people will review it and be like, Oh, it's a narrow victory. That's not what we wanted. So like the cake case, I think a lot of religious freedom advocates were very disappointed that they didn't go all the way with it. So in terms of this case right now, this is the case, this is the ruling that they wanted to get. So there's always something distinguishing and they, they won't hear the Supreme court won't hear cases and issues that have already been decided unless there's something new that they need to bring up. So that's why, that's why they only give cert to 80 cases out of thousands of cases. Cause it has to be new and novel and something they haven't really discussed before. If it is, then they'll just decline cert and send it back down to the lower court. So I think we, that's it. I think we got all three of them. So. So do you have any interest in being a Supreme court judge justice? No, I, I don't, meet, <laughs> I don't meet the pedigree. Um, 
you have to go to like Harvard and Yale and all that stuff to be a Supreme Court judge. I think that I missed the boat on that a long time ago. So okay. I would have had. I don't think you have to, isn't it? Like eight of them went, but I don't know where the third, the last one went. Um, I thought there was one who didn't, but I don't know where they went or who it is. It might be Justice Amy Comey Barrett. She, I don't think she went to any of the big Ivy League schools. Did she go to Michigan? Why, why is Michigan ring a bell? Uh, but everyone else went to, you know, uh, Kagan was Harvard. Yale, uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson was Harvard. So, yeah, there's a certain pedigree to be a Supreme Court judge. Um, it's not easy. And there's only been, what, how many since the dying oh, of our country? I know. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll just, I'll just read the articles for, or I'll just read the decisions and make my own little opinions. Um, but, yeah, I think final thoughts, like I said, I think these are, are big wins if you're a conservative. Um, and, and disclaimer, people always say, like, conservative judges versus liberal judges, like as if they're like politicians. That's not really the way to look at judges. Um, yeah, I think you could say like some are more socially conservative and maybe they lean traditionally conservative versus like progressive. Um, but it's really judicial philosophy in terms of uh, the six conservative judges are what you would call originalist or textualist, meaning they look at what the law is, what the constitution is, what the original intent of laws in the constitution are. Uh, the liberal judges will take laws and kind of bend them to what they want. They'll kind of take laws and regulations and expand them as big as they want. Um, and which is ironic that Kagan was making the argument in, it was the student loan case where she said, well, the Supreme court steps in, they start to become makers of national policy when it's more likely liberal justices would be makers of national policy because they'd be creating law out of nowhere. And that's what mm -hmm. a lot of um, leftists want. They want to be able to like send it over to the Supreme court and the Supreme court will go, sure, absolutely. You could do this. This is absolutely fine. It's kind of like the Obamacare case where like uh, they ruled in favor that you can tax people for Obamacare. Um, so that was making law. That wasn't what Congress intended, but they were making law from the bench. So just a one little caveat. So. All right. All right. Great job. On that I understand note, this more. On that note, I hope everyone understands it more. I like talking about this stuff um, and diving into it. But next week we'll be back to california stuff we're getting josh hoover on the program so he'll be on yes. um and i think he'll be more than primed and ready to talk about sb14 so that should be fun so all right and we are all just going to continue melting here in southern california yeah stay cool out there so um <laughs> as we always end the show uh you know, if you like the show, make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, subscribe to us on YouTube, on Rumble, Spotify, all that stuff. Make sure you leave a review of any of these videos or stuff like that. We've been sending out more podcast clips so you don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to sit through the whole show. You can sit through 10 or 15, 20 minutes of it. Um, follow us on social media, on Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, and the best way to support the show, 
uh, the free way is you can always just send it to somebody, text them, message them, do it however you want. That's the best way to support the show and it doesn't cost you anything. So, and with that, we'll say goodnight later, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 